Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. Welcome into The Verge, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles minor leagues. The Verge is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere and even earn money all in one place for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer, so no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Ever since we discovered Spotify for Podcasters, we feel like having options like video podcasts and Q&A lets us be more creative on another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for Podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com slash podcasters to get started. Welcome to On the Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. And on today's show, we've got another big round of transactions to talk about, including the promotion of Gunnar Henderson from Delmarva to Aberdeen. We're also going to get into the injury statuses of D.L. Hall and Heston Kerstad, take a look at the upcoming Gulf Coast League and Dominican Summer League previews, and, of course, round out our show by highlighting the prospect that has stepped up uh, outside the top 30 with a big performance recently. So that'll be on tonight's episode of On the Verge. But first, On the Verge is brought to you courtesy of Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Mercer is a third-generation family business that was established in 1959 and is located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster, Maryland. For all of your flooring needs, think Mercer. So uh, another week and another big round of promotions in the Orioles' farm system. Uh, the headline here for many is probably that Gunnar Henderson, after a very hot start at Delmarva, makes a move up to high A Aberdeen. That was not the only notable move, though, as Kyle Bronovich makes a jump from Aberdeen to Bowie, along with Toby Welk and Kyle Stowers. Uh, UCL Diaz and J.C. Escara go from Bowie to Norfolk. And then joining Henderson on the jump from Delmarva to Aberdeen are Trevor Keehy and Dylan Harris. Delmarva, meanwhile, to received two prospects um, out of Florida, York Landy, York Landy Alvarez, an infielder, will now join the Swordbirds, along with outfielder Lamar Sparks, who is a prospect that's been in the system for a little while, was at one point a top 30 guy, but injuries have stalled his career so far. Hopefully, though, uh, this season he's able to put up some good numbers in Delmarva. But I think the highlight here for us, and I'll start with Bob, Henderson gets promoted, which is a big story, but there's also a lot of other good players making moves here as well. Yeah, and as you can see, Yorkis Landy Alvarez, he's so tall that he could fill two shoes. That's why they're only sending two players to Delmarva with the three going to Aberdeen. Six foot ten. That'll be interesting to see. But uh no, yeah, Gunnar Henderson, 
Gunnar Henderson uh, is definitely the highlight. He's been raking. You heard about him all last year, and he proved why this year he's in top 100 lists all over the place. So it'll be good for him to join back up with Jordan Westberg and get back to competing for the short shortstop job like he, uh, Westberg mentioned in an article I read last week. Uh, also, I'm excited to see Kyle Stowers at AA Bowie. He strikes out a lot, but he's been walking a ton this year, and he's really starting to get his power into games. So that just makes Bowie that much better. Uh, he can join the lineup with Johnny Reiser, Adley Rushman, and the rest, Joey Ortiz. So, yeah, I'll pass it over to Nick, but those are the two that I'm most excited about. I think for just for gut, just looking at Gunner, I mean, the only thing you could really nitpick about his game was that he had a high number of strikeouts for sure. And the defense was streaky because we get asked so many times about his defense. I've made a note to watch it and he makes a few good plays and he makes some bad throws, uh, but it's never really consistent. But I mean, he had a 156 WRC plus and a 944 OPS in 35 games. Like, it, you're not going to get any better facing the Frederick Nationals every other week at this point. Like, sorry to Frederick Nationals, but like they're the worst team in minor league baseball, and it seems like the most common opponent of Delmarva. <laughs> yeah. like, he's only he's technically only 19, I think, for about another week. His birthday's coming up, but he's reunited with Jordan Westberg, like Bob said, and it seems like these two have really clicked together. Um, you know, you look at these prospects down the farm system; they're having real fun. They do it with flair, and they're like legitimate friends. Um, so there you go. I said before that uh, hope is a dangerous word, but how can you not be hopeful at this point when you're looking at Gunnar Henderson? Absolutely. You know, everything that I saw from Henderson, I liked to Delmarva. The thing was his defense, and, and Nick, you're right. It was streaky, and I feel like you see that a lot with young shortstops. They can come out one night and look great, and then the next night they throw the ball into the stands four times. Not that Henderson did that, but you can find examples of that with guys at low A. But the thing that with Henderson that stands out to me, for a guy his size, his footwork is pretty good, and he's got a great arm. And that arm is going to hold up regardless of what position he plays. So, you know, if we're going to compare him to, say, when Ryan Malcastle stays in his career, the arm was one of the biggest concerns with Malcastle, and it still is. Whereas with Henderson, I think you watch him and you think, well, yeah, he might outgrow shortstop, but that arm will hold up really well at third base. Or, you know, if he's going to mass the ball like this, he can play either corner outfield spot um, and give you great offense for the position and give you a good arm in the outfield. So there's a lot of possibilities with Henderson's defense that I think the Orioles have time to explore if he doesn't stick at shortstop. And I don't think it wasn't that the arms like bad or the fielding is necessarily bad per se. I just, it's not just accurate hundred percent of the time. Like you see the first base of Delmarva, whoever that may be on that given night is usually it's TT Bowens or lately it's been Trevor key who just got promoted to Aberdeen, uh, which I mean, we talk about Dylan Harrison, Trevor key if we want to, but like, it's not that it's, you know, a weaker arm, like Mount Castle just didn't have the arm strength. Gunnar Anderson has the strength, but I guess if you really want to nitpick it, like it's the accuracy, but other than that, like I said, I don't think he really had much to prove. Stick him in in high now with Jordan Westberg. Let them be a, a left side of the infield that high hitters aren't going to get balls through at this point. Yeah, if anything, I feel like maybe he went over, I think, in his last two games. Maybe they thought he was getting a little bit bored. He was His OPS was over 1,000 most of the season, and I doubt he was actually getting bored. But just to keep that competitive juices flowing, you want to challenge him a little bit more. So I like the I like the choice. Yeah, so we're, I'm going to bring up this one with his Diaz making the move to AAA, which was inevitable. You know, the, him going to Bowie is really just part of coming back on the field after the early, early season injury. 
is the biggest question mark for him still, can he stay healthy? Because you see it from when he's actually on the field. He'll do something in a game that reminds you of why he was, you know, just two years ago, a top 100 prospect in baseball. So if he stays healthy, do you think there's an opening for him in Baltimore sometime in the next month, maybe? I definitely could see that. Just the injuries alone, Austin Hayes dealing with the nagging hamstring stuff. Anthony Santander is – that ankle is obviously bothering him. He honestly should probably be back on the injured list. And I just wrote in my Down on the Farm article that, yeah, maybe Ryan McKenna would just get called back up if one of those guys had to go back on the IL. But I wonder if just let McKenna continue to have success in AAA and, and build up upon his development – and give Diaz a chance while he's healthy. Get him up there. See what he can do. I was at the game on Sunday. He hit a single. The ball just sounds different off his bat. It's loud. He It, it was a hard line drive. It had to be over 100 miles an hour. So I'm curious to see if he can just stay healthy enough to make it to the major leagues. I do think it could be within the next month. Unless everybody happens to stay healthy and when he gets traded, then maybe he's he sticks around in Norfolk a little bit longer. But I, I see him coming up. I mean, the the rehab there in Bowie looked good. He looked like the old Yusniel Diaz there. It's only five games, but he got a home run. He had a double, had a couple walks. I think at this point, you just stick him in right or left field in Norfolk. And and actually, like I'm curious to see what Norfolk does with their lineup now uh, in t- for Tuesday's game and the games this week because you bring up J.C. Ascara, and now it's like, where is Tyler Nevin going to play? Is he going to move to a corner outfield spot? But Zach Jarrett has also been playing really well for Norfolk. And you got Ryan McKenna in center field. You, you got to put Yusniel Diaz in left or right field every single night in the middle of that order and pray he stays healthy because, yeah, like he needs to be up in Baltimore. And I don't see why if he can't stay healthy for three, four weeks, I bring him up to Baltimore and see what happens. Uh, I mean, so I'm curious to see what Norfolk does with their lineup now with this promotion of J.C. Ascar on first base. Not to go off topic here, but uh, maybe is this the end of of the uh, top prospect, uh, Ryan uh, Ryan Ripken? Um, I, I don't know, but um, I know a lot of people would be devastated by that move. Uh, but yeah, Diaz, just stay healthy, and yeah, this this I, I don't think this year is it for him. But if you don't see him in Baltimore and have a little bit a little bit of success in Baltimore, to at least make people say, okay, there, there's something there. I see that. Uh, then I think you're going to see pretty much everyone else who hasn't jumped ship jump ship on the using the LDS train. Maybe Ryan Ripken's coming up to fill the second base hole. You know, Jemai Jones too. Yeah. <laughs> Ted's yes. legend, Ryan Ripken. Uh, uh, even that, like that is that is a swing <laughs> he has. Just look up videos of Ryan Ripken's swing if you haven't seen it. It is a it is little league uh, esque. He started it uh, when we started the podcast. It'll it'll finish anytime now. <laughs> so, um, not to get off topic from Ryan Ripken, uh, but one other you know promotion that Bob mentioned earlier was Kyle Stowers going to Bowie, and although Stowers did strike out a lot at Aberdeen, he also walked a lot, which was a good sign to see. The power was coming around a little bit um, as he made the move to Double A. I, I'm really curious to see when he gets to Bowie what that power is going to look like because in the past I've kind of thought, well, home run hitters don't seem to perform as well at Bowie for whatever reason. Then yet you have guys like Adley Rutzman and, you know, Doran Turton crushing the ball this year. And you have to wonder if Stowers' power um, continues up there. 
Stowers Power. That's a t-shirt coming to Bay yes. Sox Stadium. I mean, it's you do mention the strikeouts because like, among qualified hitters, he does have the highest strikeout rate among all Orioles minor league hitters. It's like 34%. Uh, but he does have a 404 on base percentage. And you just look at this buoy lineup and, yeah, okay, maybe you get Adley Rutschman out which is is rare. I mean, he's up that average over three, up, just under three hundred now. But you get through this exhaustive lineup, and then you got Kyle Stowers, who can also hit four hundred fifty foot bombs and match Adley Rutschman's power. Um, like that's just a dangerous lineup. Like I don't get how you can watch Bowie. This Bowie roster got more exciting, and I don't even think that was possible at this point. Like on most nights, Toby Welk might be the worst hitter in this lineup, and that's that's not a knock on Toby Welk at all. He's a pretty good hitter. Uh, but yeah, with Stowers, like. You give up a bomb to Adley, you turn around, and then you got Kyle Sowers there. Like that's that's a massive lineup now in Bowie, and we'll see what the strikeouts do. But it's exciting. I was shocked though, honestly, to see Stowers get the move up. Yeah, really. If <laughs> Taron Vavra and Joey Ortiz can get healthy and Greg Cullen, I guess. I mean, that is a just loaded lineup, top to bottom. You, you, someone's going to have to sit on the bench every night. It seems like at least in the outfield, what you're going to have Johnny Riser, Kyle Stowers, Robert Newstrom. Dorian Turchin's been on fire. What's he going to do? Patrick Dorian, he's he just hit a home run yesterday. So I guess Toby Welk's going to be playing first base every day. It's it's crowded. It's crowded out there. So one setback that Bowie did have uh, last week is that D.L. Hall, after a dominant start there, is placed on the injured list. Um, apparently, Hall was experiencing some discomfort after his last start. Uh, so the Orioles did an MRI, which showed inflammation around the elbow, but no damage, no structural damage. Um, some quotes have been making the round from Mike Elias, and uh, I'm reading from Dan Connolly at The Athletic here. Um, Elias uh, talking about the MRI showing no inf- inflammation, showed inflammation, but no structural damage, said, uh, quote, we'll pull him out of the rotation, let him rest for a couple of weeks. And several weeks start to build him back up for a return to the Bowie rotation here in good time. So it sounds like the Orioles get to this quickly. It doesn't sound like it's too serious. But at the same time, it's disappointing for Hall after the start he has had uh, to go on the injured list. And it sounds like it's going to be a pretty gradual buildup on a timeline that we still really don't know for sure. So, Nick, what, what is your reaction to this? And are you concerned long term or do you think that this is just going to be a bump in the road? I think it's just going to be a bump in the road, to be honest. It is a little scary, though. But, I mean, you know, Deal Hall in the aisle now. You just mentioned Taron Vavra be on the aisle. Greg Cullen banged up. Joey Ortiz banged up. You're starting to see a lot of injuries in Bowie. Uh, but overall, I think other than that, and, you know, Jemai Jones and Yusnil Diaz had early season injuries, we've really seen this team be pretty fortunate with injuries. And, and I feel like injuries across minor league baseball and major league baseball are obviously up, like, through the roof this season. Um, but other than that, you know, Carter Baumler's Tommy John surgery and Brendan Hanafy's Tommy John surgery, Jensen Elliott down in Delmarva also, he went, magically went on the 60-day DL. So I can only imagine that's something probably a Tommy John surgery as well. But other than that, there really hasn't been much. Um, but the Hall's news, the DL Hall news is a little concerning just because he was so hot and pitching so well. I mean, the walks were sure a little bit higher than you still want to see them, but He's striking guys out in an enormous clip. He looks confident out there on the mound. Um, I was thinking, honestly, that Adley Rutschman and D.L. Hall were probably going to be promoted to Norfolk after the July 4th weekend. That gives them like two more weeks down there. Um, 
another week or so down there in Norfolk. You can let Adley catch another two or three starts from Grace Rodriguez. And then you see Hall ready to go. Nothing else to prove for these two guys. They're up in AAA Norfolk together. Uh, but, you know, I think I think it'll be okay with Dio Hall. I'm, I immediately start thinking about the San Diego Padres and, like, Nelson Lamette and that situation they're dealing with over there. It's like it, he probably should have Tommy John surgery, but they're not going to shut him down. They just keep resting him. And he comes back, he pitches well, and he's down for a little bit, and he's back healthy again. That does scare me, uh, but I think he's going to be okay. I don't think it's going to be as bad as worst fears as, as we're all trying to avoid. Yeah, I mean, it's inevitable that one of our top prospects will probably have an injury, at least the pitchers, along the line somewhere. But I'm a little concerned because at the end of 2019, I remember he was shut down for something similar. Uh, they said it wasn't serious, just like this. And, but this kind of – it just reminds me of the John Means thing. Obviously, it's his elbow rather than his shoulder, but they said it was just a little more tender than he's used to after a start. So, to me, it's just them being cautious. And at the same time, you can kind of – like uh, Simpkin Tribute said, you can limit his innings a tiny bit. Clearly, you want him healthy, but if there's going to be anything at all, you don't want to risk it at all because he's not going to make it to the major leagues this year. So, why take any chances? He's shown really well so far. And you have Kyle Burnovich coming up to step into his place so they can continue to do a couple tandems a week and then the rest will be a normal bullpen game. But did we get into Kyle Burnovich? Because maybe we should mention him getting promoted to double-A Bowie. Yeah, we've actually got Brunovich uh, uh, later in the show. So we'll be discussing him quite a bit. Um, but yeah, I, with Hall, it's always a little bit of a, a concern when a guy like this goes down to this type of injury. And my hope is that he gets back on the mound sometime here in the next few weeks. It sounds like, though, that when he does come back, based off of what Mike Elias said, we're probably looking at a slow buildup and, you know, probably getting ahead of myself a little bit here. But I wonder, do we see him pitch out of the bullpen initially? Do we see him maybe come back initially at Delmarva or Aberdeen and kind of build his way up the way that Michael Ballman has, but perhaps on a shorter schedule? So, But I, I think you're going to look at a year – the Orioles probably were going to limit Hall's innings to some extent anyways this year, but now I think you're going to be looking at pretty tight control over him going forward if he does get back on the mound. Yeah, and I mean, with Hall, you're looking at this Orioles pitching prospects as a whole. You're looking at D.L. Hall, Grayson Rodriguez, and Kyle Bradish at the top right now, and Hall's injury is only the semi kind of major bump in the road we've seen. You know, if if you get just one of these three guys emerges as a legitimate rotation piece, you call that a success, I think. Um, and now we're looking at Kyle Bradish as a possible major league rotation piece in the very near future. D.L. Hall, I think, has answered a lot of questions this year. I think he improved. Eric Longenhagen over at Fangrass, he bumped up Hall to a 55 future value piece on his evaluations. Uh, and kind of reading what he wrote recently, he he did call – he still thinks D.L. Hall is more of a, a late-inning reliever type. He calls him Hater-esque or uh, Josh Hader over there uh, type pitcher, which which is great too. Like if you can get D.L. Hall as the new Josh Hader out of the Orioles' bullpen, Rodriguez at the top of your rotation with the John Means, Kyle Bradish in the back end of your rotation, that's solid. Like you cannot complain about that one bit at all. Hey, did you guys know Josh Hader was once in the Orioles organization? That's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got him back. We got the new Josh Hader, the new and improved Josh Hader. That's right. That's right. 
Yeah, just um, one thing with Hall that's worth noting, and then we're going to talk about Heston Kurstad a little bit. But, you know, the walks were a little high, but they were down from where his numbers were in Frederick. And I noted this a few episodes ago, and it really showed no signs of slowing it down. Hall's ground ball rate was much higher than normal this season. When he went on the IL, it was just above 60%, which tells me that he was probably he's probably a more well-rounded pitcher now than he was in 2019 because not only is he still striking guys out, but he's cutting back on the walks a little bit and really has not given up a lot of hard contact. You would In outings where Hall would pitch, I would watch – and it seemed like the best contact a lot of their, you know, a lot of opposing batters could get was a weak fly ball, shallow outfield, or maybe a ground ball that finds a hole and gets in the gap. It didn't seem like you were seeing a lot of balls out to the warning track or even, you know, medium to deep outfield. It was a lot of weak contact. Yeah, he was definitely, and that kind of reminds me of Grayson Rodriguez, the home run he gave up yesterday was like a fly ball to deep center field to Johnny Riser, misread, came in, froze, went back, hit off his glove, off the wall, little league home run. And then the other one, even it was hit hard, but it was like, it almost looked like a guy trying to foul the ball off and it just stayed fair and it went out to left field. Like both of these guys are getting weak contact and the <laughs> hitters just, they can't hit them. They can't hit them. So hopefully that continues as they move up the ladder. Yeah, his other numbers too, like a 3.13 ERA is good, but it's a 2.35 XFIP, a 44% strikeout rate, which I think leads all Orioles pitchers right now, qualified pitchers. 145 average against. So yeah, he's walking like 12, 13% of guys he faces, but he has a 1.01 whip. And that's something we've seen all throughout the minor leagues. So guys are not getting hits against him. And I like that point that you know, Zach made that he's become more of this well-rounded pitcher. You know, he mentioned that there was that article right after his first start on MLB.com. I can't remember who wrote it. I apologize for that. I hate doing that. But when I can't give credit the right way there, but you know, he said DL Hall's heard the criticism and he hears everybody talking about his walk rate and he's tired of it. Uh, and he, I think he's proven a lot of people wrong this year. This is, this is a legitimate prospect we have on our hands now. And I'm not as worried about him anymore, even with this little injury in the road. Agreed. So we'll be keeping an eye on Hall and wishing for a uh, quick and successful recovery there. Um, in other news relating to injuries, Heston Kerstad, um apparently experiencing a little bit of a setback in his ongoing recovery from myocarditis, um, which the Orioles updated on last week. Um, Michael Elias in this quote um, seemed to, you know, on one hand um, – not downplay, but kind of say that they do think Kerstad is going to get back on the field. And it's not a question of if, but when. But I do want to read this, and this is again from Dan Connolly at The Athletic. Michael Elias about Heston Kerstad saying, quote, This is still a situation we feel will be a matter of time. He's putting a lot of work in. He's very determined. This is a bump in the road. It's a tricky condition. It's a very serious one that requires us to be careful and deliver it. It's something we probably can't put an artificial timeline on. We're going to provide some further rest before entering return to play protocol once again. Now, um, myocarditis, for those that aren't aware, is inflammation around the heart. So this is obviously a pretty serious condition that Kerstad is recovering from. Um, it's disappointing news on one hand because I know we all want to see Kerstad on the field soon. And I think we were all hoping that sometime here in the next few weeks or months, we would see him in the ZCL. But now there's questions about whether we're going to see him at all in 2021. Uh, I'll start with Bob here. What is your reaction to this? Just unfortunate for him mainly. I mean, it just sucks that he has to go through this. 
no fault of his own. You know, it's not like he didn't disclose an injury. But at the same time, it's not like I feel like he's going to be once he gets through this. Look, we've seen Eduardo Rodriguez. He's he was back and he's performed well. Uh, I think it's not like he tore his his knee out or or his elbow or anything like that. I think it's just a matter of time. Yeah, he'll be behind the curve. But we've talked about it before. It shouldn't take too much to get him back up to speed. He was a good college hitter. Just sad for him, and it's of course it's unfortunate for us in the development for this year, but it is what it is. He'll probably drop out of the top 100, but hopefully once he gets back, you know, healthy next next season, most likely that he can work his way right back into it. I mean, my thing with Kershad is just you know first and foremost, like I just hope he's okay and able to live a normal life. I mean, it's of course we want to see him out there on the field, but like he's a 22 year old kid, which I feel like now, like me saying that, just shows like how old I'm getting. Like this is a very young guy with recurring heart issues. Like it's it seemed like he was fine, and then now it's flaring up again. we don't know the exact cause of those heart issues, but based on the last 15 or so months that we've lived through, we can, there's, there's an assumption there of maybe what caused it, but regardless of what caused it, I mean, Kershaw doesn't owe anybody an explanation as to what's going on. I don't think he has, owes it to anybody to get in front of a microphone or really talk about it if he doesn't want to. Um, and just the discussions about like, this pick was a disaster of a pick and he's proving that this was a messed up pick. I I think it's just, it's absurd to even want to think that right now. Um, This is no one's fault. And I think I can guarantee you without ever speaking to Heston Kirstein in my life yet up to this point, hopefully one day we do get to meet him, but um, I can guarantee you probably that no one wants to be on the field more than he does right now. Uh, But there are a million more things in life, more important than baseball. And, you know, right now, hopefully best case scenario, Kirstein does get to participate in fall instructs, I think September, October, I think we can call it a big, a huge win. If he can get in fall instructs in September and October and then goes home with the off season, probably spends a lot of his off season there in Sarasota. And he starts 2022 with a clean bill of health and every intention of showing fans why he was worthy of being that pick, being the Orioles first round pick where he was. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, exactly. You just want to see him first and foremost, you know, take care of himself and get healthy. And then I think that, you know, whatever the Orioles get from him is great, but this is a serious issue, and you just hope that he's able to, you know, recover and live a normal life, and hopefully, you know, that does involve baseball, but we'll see. Yeah, and I mean, I, I do get, though, like, the, it is disappointing. You you want to see this is a guy who, that the Orioles, you know, maybe they did reach a little bit for him in the draft. Sure, you can make that argument, but – it also led to a guy like a Kobe Mayo who we're going to talk about in a second. So, I mean, I feel like an Eric Long at Hagen, we reference him a lot, but he said like the Orioles were probably the only team in his opinion that got five serviceable future major leaguers uh, out of that draft class. And, and so it's because you went with Kershaw with that first pick. So, I mean, it's get healthy. That's first and foremost. And then we'll worry about baseball when that time comes. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so best wishes to Heston Kerstad from us here at On the Verge and uh, his recovery. We do have a listener question here that I want to bring up before we get into DCL um, because it's something we're probably going to be talking about a lot. C. Phelan 1 asked, do you think we will end up with the number one pick this year, which I guess means 2022? Uh, right now, if the season were to end today, Arizona would have the number one pick, um, and Arizona is terrible. So that might hold, but the Orioles certainly giving them a run for their money. Yeah, I think Arizona's what five and thirty-six in her last something crazy. They're in a terrible losing stretch here. I think they've lost so many road games in a row. 
I think it could be a two-horse race between us and them. I mean, they have to play the Dodgers, Giants, and Padres a bunch in their division, and we have to play the Blue Jays, Rays, Yankees, and Red Sox. So I think we'll at least be top two, and that should – yeah, I don't know. Hopefully we can turn things around and some prospects come up, and we can uh, be do good enough and have some promising performances from young guys to get us out of the bottom two. But at the same time – if we're going to be that bad, you might as well have something to show for it. And, yeah, I'll say we get the second pick in Arizona. We'll stick with the first. I'd probably agree with that just because off the top of my head, Arizona's roster I feel like doesn't have like the the young firepower that the Orioles have now and could have. There are a couple names uh, um, on Arizona's roster that I can think of, but I, don't, I also think that Arizona's probably going to go like full fire sale. Uh, for sure. And so with the Orioles, though, you're not trading Ryan Mountcastle. You're not getting rid of. Honestly, I think the Orioles may end up being kind of quiet uh, on the trade deadline, maybe not as active as I think a lot of people may end up may believe they will be. Um, and so I think there's a lot more young firepower in the Orioles system. You got guys like Kyle Bradish that are going to be up, I fully believe, by the end of the year. And maybe they catch fire in a bottle late. And so I think that will keep them out of the first pick. But it's still going to be a top five pick for sure. Definitely top five, maybe, you know, perhaps top three. I think number one, my sense is that Arizona is going to hold on to that spot. And, you know, like Nick said, I do think that there's a possibility that the Orioles actually improve a little bit if some of these younger players come up and perform. Um, I mean, we've talked many times on this show, and we're not going to get into it now, but we'll probably have to dig it back up again soon if they don't make this move. To my Jones would be an immediate upgrade at second base, most likely. Yeah, there, there are some other moves like that where, you know, the rotation might be better off with Alexander Wells and Kyle Bradis in it than it is with Jorge Lopez and Matt Harvey. Yeah, so there, there's moves like that where the Orioles actually do have some room for improvement that Arizona, because Arizona has never really committed, in, I feel like, in one direction or the other of buy-in, go for it now versus rebuild. They probably just don't have that talent at the top of their system to get better if they do move some guys at the deadline. So I, I would say right now the Orioles pick top three, but probably not first. Yeah, and it might even be tough to trade Anthony Santander right now for the Orioles. With You don't want to trade him while his value is low right now, coming off an injury and not performing so well. Like naturally, Katz says, Galvis probably be pretty easy to trade for something. And like a Paul Fry, I think even with his rough week this past week will impress enough teams to uh, a reliever lefty reliever that has been so lights out pretty much all season and still has like two or three years of team control left i think that might be too good to pass up for elias uh to deal so but other than that i don't know mancini it's it's up in the air i don't yeah i, I agree with nick it's not going to be some crazy trade deadline so we'll look now at the bottom of the farm system at the Gulf Coast League and the Dominican Summer League, which are set to get started here soon. DCL will actually be starting a week from today on June 28th, while the Dominican Summer League will get started in early July. Uh, the Gulf Coast League, a little bit of an interesting layout this year. As you know, there are you know the New York Penn League is gone where Aberdeen had once been. Um, but now the Orioles will have two DCL teams. So that's something worth noting that, 
a player might be on GCL1 or GCL2 or however they're going to label it. But uh, the biggest name, I think, out of the Gulf Coast League that we're excited to watch is Kobe Mayo, the fourth-round pick in the 2020 draft by the Orioles out of um, Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida. Uh, Mayo, the scouting report on him, big-time power, big arm. Florida commit was pretty much thought to be heading to college, not going to sign, and the Orioles were able to pay over slot in the fourth round to get him. Um, Has been dealing with a knee issue this spring, so he might not be on the active roster when the GCL starts next week, but even if he isn't, he's expected to be back uh, pretty quickly uh, once the season gets started. So uh, I'll start with Nick here. I know we've talked about Mayo a lot, but it's been a while, so... Kind of what interests you about him as a prospect, and what are you looking for him uh, to do at the TCL this year? Rake, like a lot of home runs down there in Sarasota. I mean, he's he is the 14th ranked prospect in this system, which is one of the top five farm systems in all of baseball. 60 grade power tool. I think his arm strength is actually receives the highest grades uh, on a lot of scouting reports, which is is awesome to see from your third baseman. A lot of Austin Riley Austin Riley comps. Uh, on him right after the draft again, which is huge to see. Um, you know, like I mentioned, maybe the Orioles did reach with Heston Kershad, but now you have another teenage prospect in Kobe Mayo in the system, who is super exciting with enormous power. They were able to persuade him to drop his commitment from the University of Florida, join the Orioles system. Um, you know, and now on the reports coming him out of the draft, there's a quote here I grabbed that he had among the most robust power raw power projections in the entire 2020 class. And Eric Longenhagen believes that he can be a middle-of-the-order power bat. Long way to go in that development for sure. But when you're talking about the Orioles, see the fourth-round draft pick of the Orioles in the 2020 draft? I mean, this is a guy they grabbed in the later part of that shortened 2020 draft. Uh, and this is a guy that scouts are, are saying that could be a middle-of-the-order power bat in this lineup. You know, stick him with a lineup behind Adley Rutschman and such, and, and there's your future Orioles lineup. Uh, playing next to Gunnar Henderson over there at third base shortstop. I mean, this, this is an exciting kid that I think uh, – Orioles fans are really going to love when they start checking those uh, Gulf Coast League box scores down there. Yeah, and I'm excited to do that. It's going to be perfect. They play around noon every day, I think. So get home from work. And the first thing I'm going to do is check the GCL box score, make sure I get the right team, the first one I check, <laughs> since there's two, uh, and just and just see what he does. I mean, I'm excited to see how polished he is. Is he going to be, you know, how's the hits all going to play? at this level, hopefully good. But what's his patience at the plate going to be? Because I have no idea. Obviously, we know he's, he's got huge power. He's going to hit some home runs. But I just want to see the, the total package. Obviously, we won't be able to watch him. But I think just like Daryl Hernandez and Gunnar Henderson in 2019, you can kind of see the walk-to-strikeout ratios. And clearly, that hasn't translated too much for Hernandez with some guys with more control. But it's a start. And I want to see what he can do. Uh, I'm excited for him, and I'm excited for a bunch of these guys that we're going to talk about. Yeah, Mayo already listed at 6'4", 215 pounds, um, and is just 19 years old. So big kid already, and there's that question about whether or not he moves off a of third base. But you know, right now with the power and that arm strength, which we just discussed, he's a very interesting prospect. And you know, like Bob said, we're not going to really see video from the Gulf Coast League. At least we don't expect to. But uh, definitely watch for his name in the box scores. If you check out GCL box scores during the season. 
So Orioles status one uh, just cut, chimed in with a listener question. It was something we were just planning to discuss, which is any exciting international signings making their U.S. debuts in the ZCL this year? Uh, we don't have the rosters yet, and we probably won't until later this week or early next week. But we're expecting a few, and it's not just the international signings, but also some of the players that were originally signed by other organizations out of the international market that have been acquired in trades in recent years. Uh, one example that I'll point to is Isaac De Leon, uh, who Joe Trezzo wrote about recently on the Orioles website. He was acquired in the trade last year with the Miami Marlins for Richard Blyer. Uh, De Leon is expected to be at one of the two Gulf Coast League teams. And he's a guy that I know we're going to talk about a little bit, but I would expect there's a lot of players that are going to fit that mold as well, where it's not just players that were acquired by the Orioles originally, but ones that were originally signed by the organizations, but have since been uh, acquired by the Orioles via trade. I'm going back over this uh, Joe Trezzo piece on De Leon. And I mean, this is another teenage prospect with the, the scouting grades are good. Like 40 hit tool is okay, but 45 power tool arm and field are, are good. 50 grade tools there. And overall they got him as a 40 grade prospect. I mean, this is a guy for Richard Blyer. Like, come on, they, like, anything for Richard Blyer would have been good. But now this is a guy who a, a beat writer like Joe Trezzo is taking the time to highlight for a reason. Um, you look at, it seems like he's grown and he's really filled out and he has a lot of this power. And there's a quote here from Kobe Perez, the Orioles international scouting director, who said, when we saw Xander Bogarts as a kid, we thought he would move over to third base. He's doing fine. People are trying to move Johnny Peralta over his whole career and he played shortstop for 15 years. I don't know if DeLeon will be a shortstop at the end. By the time he's 24 or 25, he might be too big and too strong uh, of a kid. So there we go. And his experience, he has Dominican Summer League experience. So this is a guy who's probably going to start in the GCL with the Orioles this year. Uh, and again, another powerful shortstop prospect that we're talking about here in the Orioles system. These, they're just loaded with these types of players. And he's one that, I mean, he's over here like dyeing his hair blue, going like Jazz Chisholm route. Like that's, he's a blonde. Sorry, if he's a uh, Francisco Lindor is his idol. Uh, like that's fun. These are fun guys that the Orioles are getting ready to bring up and like, we have a growing following uh, on the Twitter account. The listeners are growing. We've got some prominent people out there who, uh, you know, may or may not be listening to this show based on some interactions. And I'm just saying, if you guys need somebody to move uh, to the Dominican Republic and man a feed so we can watch these guys, um, I'm sure we've got connections who will gladly work in Sarasota uh, for a very low price tag uh, so you can broadcast these games but i'm willing to move to the dominican my wife probably is not listening right now so don't tell her but i will move to the dominican so we can set up this feed so we can watch these guys because you're talking about isaac day is a guy who no one would have been talking about six months ago and now here we are taking time and, and people are writing articles about him yeah he just seems like such a fun player to watch and i would love to be able to do so as well but it's just cool that you know michael Ias is and Kobe Perez, I'm sure, has a big hand in this. They're scouting, uh, scouting these guys. They are targeting them in these trades and making sure that they're getting international prospects to go along with the ones that they're signing. And clearly, they have their eye on certain guys for a reason. And De, De Leon is, an, is one where if they think he can stick shortstop and maybe end up at third base eventually, but only because he's going to be so big and strong and hit so many home runs, like that's like a fun way to put that. But uh yeah, it's it's exciting times, and there's more to go with him. Like uh, Michael Desson, I think he's the outfielder that we got from the Rockies in the Michael Givens trade to go along with Taron Vavra and Tyler Nevin, who are already making their impact known. 
I just want to see this be like the the uh, poor man's version of the uh, Chris Archer trade from the Tampa Bay Rays to uh, the Pittsburgh Pirates, where we get uh, Tyler Nevin uh, will be a sturdy first baseman for us for a long time. Taron Vavra, the second baseman, and then, you know, Desson eventually comes up at like Shane Baz and, and hits the uh, prospect status later on. What do you guys think? I would be thrilled with that. And Desson, by every report that we have out there, sounds like a very intriguing prospect. Um, guy that per fan grass listing before the season started, 6'5", 165 pounds. Uh, so what they would say in scouting terms, projectable um, at that size. Uh, young guy, definitely seems like the tools are there. And when you're looking at him, it's basically the extra piece in the Michael Givens trade because Vavra and Nevin are rightfully the ones we really focus on. But to get him as the third player in that deal was, I thought, good because he definitely brings some upside to the table. Yeah, Desan was he's Eric Longenhagen has him ranked as the 33rd prospect in this system. I mean, guys like Robert Newstrom and, uh, you know, Kyle Branovich, Zach Peak, other guys that the Orioles recently acquired, these guys weren't on his, his top 45 list. And Desan is way up there, possibly in a re rank by the end of the year and definitely starting next season. He could be a top 30 prospect. And you're looking at three guys. And for Michael Givens, I don't know where Michael Givens is. I guess he's still in Colorado right now. Like, I don't know what he's doing. He's obviously not doing anything good over there in Colorado. And we've got Taron Vavra. When he's healthy, tearing it up. It's not a major injury. I think it's just a bump and a bruise from playing competitive baseball now for the first time in a while. Tyler Nevin just hit his, what, like eighth or ninth home run the other night for Norfolk. Um, he's got the power. This is a guy who I think you can stick around on the major league roster for a little bit. This is the third guy in the Michael Givens trade and a serious prospect in this system. So there we go. Keep trading with the Rockies. Uh, Michael Givens, I believe is on the injured list currently. So there you go. He's dead. So there we go. We, we won. <laughs> trade's over. So we got a listener question here. Naturally cats 11 ask circling back to ask about the two guys in the Kastner trade. Uh, the Orioles traded Andrew Kastner in July of 2019 to the Red Sox for uh, Nolberth Romero and Elio Prado. Prado was someone we were actually talking about before we got on the air as uh, we're expecting to see him probably in the GC, one of the two GCL teams and definitely looks like an interesting prospect. No yeah, doubt. Uh, He's- Eric, Eric on uh, Eric Birdland on Twitter. <laughs> Shout out to him. He's I, every time I see him post some pictures and videos, it seems like he's shouting out Elio Prado as a guy who's just doing great in their practices that he gets to see. And it seems like he has a ton of confidence and I think there's, I think Eric Loggenhagen is uh, high on him as well. And that's just another thing where Mike Elias, Andrew Kashner, again, Andrew Kashner, <laughs> we got two guys, two pieces on the international front and one that seems like he's really taken the lead as far as uh, promise in the two that got the return in Elio Prado, Nolberth Romero. Haven't heard a ton about him since the trade, but uh, yeah, it'll be exciting to see him go out there in the outfield. I think he's a lefty. So just crushing bombs to right field at uh, Sarasota. Let's go. Yeah, the last time we saw Prado on the field uh, in competitive game action was back in 2019, and between the Red Sox and the Orioles, 123 at-bats and an 816 OPS. So when you're doing that as a teenager, I think at any level of competitive baseball, definitely worth watching. And when you're looking at those numbers too, like Dominican Summer League numbers and Gulf Coast League numbers to an extreme, it's – 
you're going to take those with a huge grain of salt. They really can't tell you too much, but I I've said it before, I do look at like the walks and the strikeouts. If you see a guy like Prado hitting you know, a couple home runs and, and 12 doubles across the full season, that's intriguing. That tells me there's power there, uh, potential for power, but he walked almost as many times as he struck out. He walked 30 times, struck out 36 times in 60 games. Like that, those are solid walk to strikeout numbers, high on base guy. Uh, this I know prospects live. You read their reports, uh, their prospect list that came out. You know, it's they came out with their list pretty early, so a lot of new additions since then. But he's a guy who's in there, like Orioles top thirty-five, top forty for sure. Um, so this isn't just a nobody. You know, Romero maybe we'll see again. Like you mentioned, we haven't heard too much about him. But Elio Prado is another one of those names that Kobe Perez has said in, in a recent article that there are a lot of guys who just aren't on the radar. And guys that no one's heard of, no no Orioles fans are talking about them. These are guys I'm sure that we've never even seen the names before. Um, it's just so these classes have been so deep. But the Orioles are confident that a lot of those names are going to make a lot of noise this year. Uh, and you've got guys with DSL experience who are going to come over in the GCL this year and get their first opportunity. Um, I don't know. It's I want to get the season started so we can start seeing these box scores. We can start seeing these guys. Uh, and hopefully we do get some reports. I think with the way coverage has been going and with what we're seeing at the major league level, things just getting worse, it seems like up there. Um, I think we're going to get a lot more coverage out of the GCL this year. So we can get a lot more definitive reports on these guys and, and see what they've done after a year away from the game at such a young age. Yeah, hopefully we can get some more reports. And uh, I don't know if I can. Uh, can bring up another guy was Steven Acevedo, who he was really young for uh, the league he was in in 2019 and really held his own there. So I'm curious to see. He was a big guy already in a couple years removed. I want to see how he's developed physically as far as his and as far as his game as well. So that's another outfielder. It's going to be interesting. Now we, we're starting to understand why they're having two teams in the GCL and two teams in the DSL because there's just a bunch of guys who I'm sure they want to get some reps. One of them is a name that I wanted to bring up, another outfielder that Joe Trezza actually wrote about last month, and that's Luis Gonzalez. Um, apparently very good power, uh, hits from the left side. And as of May, it looks like, according to Trezza, that Gonzalez uh, could appear at one of the Gulf Coast League teams this year. And this is someone who, um, in the comps for um, Gonzalez, Trezza put down uh, Gregory Polanco now. I know Polanco's career has had its ups and downs in the majors, but if you had seen him as a prospect um, coming up, he, he, he was a really impressive player at that point. So I'm already interested in seeing what Gonzalez can do. And honestly, if anyone can get to the majors and, and keep a major league job, especially when you sign him at the young age of 16 or whatever, that's impressive on its own. I would, I would think you'd have to be happy anytime anyone could do that, but, Luis Gonzalez, I think, was the one of the two first big money, hundreds of thousands dollar range uh, that Elias signed in that 2019 draft. And I think he's touched the top 30 or two over the past year or so. So, yeah, another guy to be excited about. There's a group here uh, that Fangraphs discusses about the the international projection bats. So these are, these are names you want to watch. And two of these names I know for certain, Luis Gonzalez and Steven Acevedo, are names that – you know, Matt Blood and Kobe Perez have mentioned before, and we talked about earlier how, you know, the praise, the high praise on Joey Ortiz and Kyle Bradish early in the year, right? You're not just going to throw those names out there for no reason when you have guys like Adam Hall and others in the system. 
And we've seen both of those guys really explode this year, early on through the first two months of the minor league season. So I'm taking note of those guys. And if you're mentioning Acevedo and Luis Gonzalez on a regular basis, I think there's a reason for that. Uh, these are guys that I think Orioles fans do want to pay attention to. And they're here in this fan graphs piece is guys that they mentioned that a lot of these international signings are big framed, big bodied, left-handed outfield bats. Uh, Acevedo is the right-hander in this group. Uh, so these are all guys that the Orioles are, and these are recent signings too. Uh, so these are guys that, and they have experience. They've been in Sarasota for the last year working out as well. I think that's huge. We've seen what that's done to guys like Gunnar Henderson and a lot of these younger prospects. Now imagine what they're doing for these 16, 17-year-old kids who they've been able to bring in Sarasota for the last year. They're going to get to the GCL, and I'm very interested to see how quickly they start settling in against that kind of competition. But yeah, even another guy listed here, an older guy, Dax Stubbs is mentioned. I mean, this is another guy, again, the quote on him is he's got a good frame and can really rotate. So there's power potential there. Again, everything you see about these guys, power potential. I like it. Yeah. Michael Elias has a type and it's power. <laughs> so uh, another name I'm going to throw out here for GCL or DSL. We're hoping, I think GSL or uh, GCL and that's uh, Louise Ortiz. Not to be confused as the Louise Ortiz that the Orioles required in the Jonathan Scope trade a few years ago. This is a different Louise Ortiz. A uh, young lefty that MLB Pipeline actually has as the 30th best prospect in the Orioles farm system. And here's part of MLB Pipeline's report. Ortiz is a big, strong lefty. He was an excellent pitcher's body and the potential to have th- an exciting three-pitch mix. Already six foot three, Ortiz is a low 90s fastball and touches 95. He shows the ability to put good spin on his curveball and throw a changeup. Mature for his age physically, he also has a general feel for pit, a good general feel for pitching. Man, I, you, go ahead, Nick. Go ahead. I was just—I remember the curveball when we got—we we don't get a whole lot of video. And the Orioles player development Twitter account did a good job with the recent signing class, which we got to talk about two of those guys real quick before we wrap up this segment. But. Um, the, the video, I think, is Ben Badler. That was kind of the premier source there uh, on international guys. He still is for, for Baseball America. But the curveball was the video that he put out, and that really stood out as like a 17-year-old kid. And if you're a lefty teenager thrown in the mid-90s, 94, 95 miles an hour, that's huge. And to, to say that his changeup is already a good pitch, um, you know, kids like that aren't throwing changeups because they can go 15-0 and with a .50 ERA in high school without a changeup. So if he's already got a feel for that pitch, this is a guy who I think – I don't think he got experience last year. So maybe maybe he starts in the GCL because he got Sarasota experience. But this is a guy that I think Orioles fans will definitely want to pay attention to if you're looking at these two rosters. Yeah, I have a feeling it's it's just not going to be fair for a lefty with the wicked curveball and mid-90s fastball and developing changeup in the GCL. I can imagine him getting a month of just pure dominance and then maybe, you know, Demarver's rotation – and Aberdeen's honestly is a little bit in flux right now. So maybe if that sorts out, maybe at least could get some time in Delmarva bullpen uh, at some point this season, maybe towards the end of the year, but very excited for this guy. Um, man, if he's already throwing 95 or touching 95, at least uh, at this age, I could just imagine how much he's going to be up to. He's going to be like DL Hall in a, in a few years. That's my prediction. 
So, Nick, you mentioned, I think, the two prospects we really wanted to focus on before we wrap this segment, Michael, Hernan- or Michael Hernandez and Samuel Basayo, both top 30 prospects at our list on BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com before the season. Uh, the big signings out of the Orioles' recent uh, international free agent class, Hernandez a shortstop, uh, Basayo a catcher. And, Nick, um, the scouting reports on those guys at the time were really positive. Um, and Hernandez getting some... Alex Rodriguez and Carlos Correa comps, which immediately draws your attention, I'm sure. Yeah, I went I went back and pulled some of the quotes from Kobe Perez. You got Hernandez is 17, Pasalo's 16, and you've got uh, MLB Pipeline's pre-camp report noted 105 mile per hour exit velo numbers on Samuel Basalo already as a 16-year-old kid. Uh, and Kobe Perez had said Basalo's a big, strong, physical catcher. He's only 16, and he's showing 105 mile per hour exit velos. It's real raw power, and we're excited about it. And he has a hose behind the plate. So Adley Rutschman, like you're, the clock is ticking on you. Just bide your time because Stanley Basalo is coming. Uh, and then Hernandez, he said Hernandez does everything so easy. Sometimes players his age show the tools, but they struggle early. He looks like he has the tools and game knowledge. Um, once this minor league season is done, a lot of our international prospects will become known. There are going to be a lot of names no one's ever heard about, and we feel good about that. They're going to start getting on people's radars. And, yeah, when you're throwing on A-Rod comps, I think a lot of people very easily threw Manny Machado comps on a Michael Hernandez. Very, very young, many, many years to go before we really start to see these guys develop. But they both got over a million dollars, and the Orioles never done that. These are These are guys the Orioles are very, very high on. And it just shows you the quick progression because, you know, Michael S. isn't doing this rebuild right, apparently. Um, This is a very quick progression to now in his really second full international class. He's got two top 30 guys in the system and one of the top farm systems in all of baseball. You can only imagine what kind of prospects he's going to be able to land in next year's draft class. If this international market still remains the same and we don't turn to like an international draft situation. But there you go. Two more exciting names to add to the list there. Yeah, and Basalo makes me really question Elias because Rutschman should be up now. There's no need to manipulate his service time. You're going to have the next catcher to replace him in five years anyway, so just get on with it. No, it's very exciting. God, I feel like Basalo might be Giancarlo Stanton at the bat and uh, Maverick Hanley at, behind the dish at this, the way they're talking him up. But uh, no, it'll be exciting to see what they can do. Like you said, it's more to me, it's more about just the the walk to strikeout ratio and just get the playing time under their belt, get that in-game competition going. And Michael Hernandez, I just expect him to just excel. I think he's going to be smooth and, and just good right out of the gate. And I don't know. I, I don't know how exactly it works. Do they ever go from Dominican Summer League to GCL in the same year? I'm not sure, but Maybe one of these guys, if it's not that, maybe it's the ones we don't know that came in the same draft class or signing class, excuse me, that uh, maybe they can force their hand, get on the radar and get us talking about. Yeah, so certainly the Gulf Coast League and the Dominican Summer League rosters, I think if we're looking at the Orioles farm system, I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that these are going to be the most interesting Dominican Summer League rosters we've ever seen in this organization. And the Gulf Coast League roster is going to be right up there. So be sure over the summer to follow uh, these teams and see what these young players step up and do as they uh, gain professional experience early in their careers. So we'll now get into our uh, segment here where we highlight a player outside the top 30 
for his recent performance. It could be a hot week. It could be a great game. Whatever it is, it's just something that interests us about this player. Um, and it's someone who obviously is not on our top 30 yet in some cases, uh, though I think there's going to be guys that could move on there. But still players we want to give a shout-out to for their uh, performances of late. And I'm going to start this one off with Bob. Yeah, I'm going to go with a guy who I was really – kind of disappointed with his early season numbers. It's Andrew Doshback. Uh, we talked about him a bit in the preview, but he came out of the gate really slow. And it wasn't until J.D. Mundy actually got promoted, which maybe that lit a fire under him because this past week he batted 458 with a 552 on base percentage and an 833 slugging percentage. He had four doubles, a triple, and a homer. He's just been on fire lately, and he's got his season numbers all the way up from, I think he was pretty much languishing in the 600 OPS range, where now he is sitting at 842, and that's after an offer on Sunday. So he's really bringing it back. And between him and JD Mundy, I mean, goodness gracious, it's called power from the right, power from the left, first base DH, you got it all going. You, as evidenced by the, the game where they scored like 28 runs in 500 hits, I, I'm being stupid, but yeah, they crushed the team they were playing, and then they turned around the next day and got crushed just as bad. But uh, Andrew Dashback, I'm just glad to see him get back on track of things, and uh, maybe he'll join his Stanford uh, co-player of uh, Cal Stowers and A Bowie before too long. Yeah, he needed this week. And you did mention that the timing is you know, unique because just like in Bowie, when we saw uh, Joey Ortiz get promoted to Bowie, Kane Grenier went on his hot stretch and could not be stopped. Uh, and so the same thing happening with Doshbog. That's good. These guys are competing. You know, someone commented earlier that having too many players is a good thing. And we're seeing that in the system where guys are moving up. Guys are now starting to be challenged a little bit more. And guys like Doshbach and these, you know, fringe top 30 guys and even just these kind of older veterans who have been languishing around the minor leagues for a while, they're really starting to step their game up when they, they got that competition threat. Because the last five, six, seven years in this minor league system, there was no competition. Sean Miller could sit back as the shortstop in Frederick and not worry about a thing because no one was coming up to take his job. If you've never heard the name Sean Miller before, it's because he wasn't really that good. Um but somehow made an all-star team. <laughs> went on to coach the Arizona college basketball team, right? The, yeah. Um, you know, who knows? Um, but yeah, Dashback needed it. Like he's the extra base hits are piling up. You mentioned the OPS. I think if he can stay consistent, this is a guy. He is that Stanford bat. I think this is a guy who maybe if Patrick Dorian gets promoted up to Norfolk soon, you move Welk up back over to third base, maybe in Bowie, and Dashbach takes over a first base uh position with the Bowie Bay Sox. So we'll see. Yeah, Dasbach really did get off to a slow start, and it seemed like you know any luster that he had coming into the year was wearing off. And then JD Mundy gets promoted, and you know Dasbach goes on a tear. His strikeouts are high, which I think we kind of expected that would be the case. But the one thing I find interesting: ten percent walk rate, which is not bad. And you combine that with this kind of power, um, I'm certainly hopeful to you know for what he could do over the rest of the season, regardless of whether. It's entirely at Aberdeen or if he does get that shot to go to Bowie because he did get off to such a slow start and has managed in a pretty, uh, you know, quick uh, timeline here to turn it around. So definitely a player to follow. My pick for this week is Kyle Bronovitz, who, as we mentioned at the top of the show, was promoted from Aberdeen to Bowie. And 
he was very good at Aberdeen, but I had actually penciled him in for the segment before the promotion happened because of his last start. Um, so in his last two starts, we'll go back to June 12th, uh, Bronovitz struggled uh, against Bowling Green, walking five batters in two and two-thirds innings. Um, his next start is at Asheville. Great city. McCormick Field is a charming ballpark, but it's a wiffle ball field. I don't know how anyone pitches there because you're there and the fence is right behind you. Um, Asheville, it seems like no matter what league they're in, is always in the top three in home runs and runs scored. Um, and he goes out there and he dominates. Five and a third, one hit, no runs, a walk, seven strikeouts. Um, by the time he left Aberdeen, he was pretty clearly to me the best pitcher in that rotation. Strikeout per nine innings up close to 13. Uh, in 34 and a third innings, the 2-3-6 ERA. Um, for a guy that was brought in in the Dylan Bundy trade, noted a little bit before this season, but we didn't have a lot of data on him because he had not pitched professionally yet. So for a guy making his professional debut to come out and pitch as well as he did at Aberdeen was really impressive, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he does at Bowie. Yeah, he's kind of doing what I thought Garrett Stallings might do for uh, the Ironbirds, which he's struggling a bit, even though he's not walking many people. But back to Bronovich, I mean, he's had two starts where he his pitch count got the best of him and he just wasn't finding success and where he couldn't get deep in the game. But other than that, he's been fantastic. And his FIP and XFIP are right along the same lines as his ERA. His XFIP is like 2.97 or something like that. He's striking out 35% of batters. I think, yeah, it was the right move to put him up to Bowie, especially with Hall Hurt and, you know, a couple guys being promoted. So he'll just join that piggyback uh, rotation like Cameron Bishop, I'm assuming, or he'll be the front end of one. Um, but it, it's exciting to see, and it's hopefully, you know, he can continue it and make everyone that judges the Dylan Bundy trade prematurely continue to feel bad about themselves. Yeah. Bronovich is, is one of those guys, I think he kind of is who he is at this point. I mean, which is a solid pitcher, but like the Velo is not going to take a jump. Um, he's not going to overhaul his repertoire, I don't think. The stuff works. The stuff plays really well. He's a confident pitcher out there on the mound. I've watched him for a few years in college and absolutely loved his stuff. I'm just glad I get to cheer for him instead of watching him just annihilate my alma mater every single year. But, I mean, he sat out 2020 because of the pandemic. It was forced out. Uh, so this is his debut. I mean, this is his professional debut. He's in high A and he's already in double A now. So I think also this whole narrative of the Orioles are going to be more cautious with their prospects is kind of like a tired narrative already because Kyle Bradish and Kyle Bronovich are already jumped up levels and they have really no you know, lower level minor league experience that Bradish pretty much has none. Um, so yeah, I don't miss Dylan Bundy one bit. I hope the angels enjoy him because I love Bradish. I love Bronovich. Isaac Matson's selling back in in Norfolk a little bit. We'll see. But nobody's talking about Zach Peak. He's actually performing pretty well. The numbers may not match, but the stuff looks good. Yep. And looking at the strikeouts, actually, um, in the Orioles system, Bronovich ranks fourth in this system in strikeout percentage at 35.3%. And only D.L. Hall and Grayson Rodriguez are higher than him on that list as far as starters go. David LeBron is third, uh, but you get another buoy arm, so... Give me Kyle Bronovich and a Justin Ramsey relationship and uh, watch this take off. But um, 
I'll close it out with my guy, another pitcher. I'm going back down to Delmarva. I'm with Noah DeNoyer last week. I'm going Ignacio Feliz out of Delmarva, a third-round pick in the minor league phase of the 2020 Rule 5 draft. I'm going to repeat that again. A third-round pick in the minor league phase of the 2020 Rule 5 draft. Yes, that is a thing that exists. Uh, he is 1-0 with a 1.35 ERA, 29 strikeouts and 26 innings, and he's allowed no runs. He has an awesome K strut, especially when he strikes out the third guy of the inning with a strikeout. Um, he's also – his last outing, four innings, no runs, four hits, one walk, seven strikeouts. He's ranked 44th on Eric Long and Higgins' list of top 45 Orioles prospects. Toby Welts not on that list. Johnny Reiser's not on that list. Brett Cumberland, Robert Newstrom, Branovich, Ophelki Peralta. Those guys aren't on his list. Ignacio Feliz is. I think that's just something to watch as he moves up. I don't know how high he's going to go, but for right now, he's hot and he's pitching really well. Yeah, the only thing that worries me with him is the walks. I feel like doesn't he have like 14, yeah. 15 walks? So, I mean, yeah. he's not giving up many hits, but he has given up a lot of walks. So, But his last time out, he only had one, like you said. So maybe it's just a matter of finding finding his zone there and yeah he's dominating and i'm not sure how old he is but i can't imagine that he's going to languish in delmarva all season if he keeps this up so yeah definitely uh, just another exciting arm add him to the list there's like a pile of 50 over there so he can go right on top of that heap yeah so feliz is uh 21 his birthday's in october so he'll be 21 the full season i love watching video clips this guy because that k strut is amazing Every strikeout, I, I get excited because it's like watching him, his reaction on the mound. The mound presence to me already looks like a dominant late inning reliever. I, I don't know that that's what he's going to be. And, you know, he's got a long way to go in his development because, you know, this is a guy who we were talked about this a little bit uh, with Bronovich and Bradis. Very little professional experience. This is actually his first time pitching above a short season level. Um, so... There's still a long way to go here, but Feliz definitely standing out to me because the strikeouts are good, really not giving up any runs. Like Bob said, you do want to see those walks come down, but hopefully over the course of the season, um, you know, he's able to cut back on the walks a little bit and everything else holds. And he was a shortstop coming up, so he's going to work his way up, become an Orioles reliever, and then we're going to flip him to Colorado for their top three prospects in five years. So there it's all Michael Elias has the plan guys. You just have to be patient. Like <laughs> I know you're tired of it, but Ignacio Feliz is part of the plan and it's happening. Yeah. And he's sitting back and laughing at all of this going on. And once the prospects we get back from that trade are ready, we'll be ready. The rebuild will be over. Yeah. 2030 <laughs> guys. Come on. So um, a programming note here that I did want to mention at the end of the show that next week we will be joined by Dr. Stephen Loftus. Uh, he's going to be coming on for another draft preview. I bring this up because um, the episode with Stephen ended, and I think we were flooded with about 40 draft questions over the next uh, four or five weeks. But we've got a plan now to have him back on. He'll be on next Monday uh, for another preview of the draft. We look forward to hearing from him. and as always, getting his insight. So uh, we will be working on our questions for Stephen, but over the course of this week, be sure to uh, hit us up on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge, if you got some questions in mind. Yeah, excited for that, definitely. 
Yeah, always a good time when we have Steven on. Um, in the meantime, continue to follow us on Twitter, at BSL on the Verge. Uh, head over to BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. Bob has a couple of new articles up, and Nick and I will be working on pieces as well. Uh, be sure to check out the latest Orioles, Ravens, and sports content over there. And join the discussion. Uh, check out the message board where you can talk Orioles Major League and Minor League. A lot of good content over at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com. So be sure to check that out. Uh, until next week, uh, this is... Zach Spedden uh, with Bob Phil. For the ones who get it done, the most important part is the one you need now. And the best partner is the one who can deliver. That's why millions of maintenance and repair pros trust Granger, Because we have professional-grade supplies for every industry, even hard-to-find products. And we have same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders. But most importantly, we have an unwavering commitment to help keep you up and running. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. The U.S. Border Patrol has exciting and rewarding career opportunities with the nation's largest law enforcement organization. Earn great pay with outstanding federal benefits and up to $20,000 in recruitment incentives. Learn more online at cbp.gov career USBP. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.